Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is sponsored by TriVegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I have Scott Robinson on with me. He's also known as the brain guy. So you know right away how much I already loved him because I love all things about the brain. I can't even describe how wonderful our chat is. You're just going to have to tune in because we talk about neuroplasticity. We talk about reformatting your thoughts, your perceptions, and how you can really be present and positive from the choices you make in your brain. Please enjoy our talk, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Welcome, Scott. I'm so happy to have you on here. Once I saw your your tagline, your moniker, brain guy, I knew you were my guy because I'm such a big <laughs> brain person. So happy to have you here. No, thank you very much for having me. Excited to, to get to have a bit of a chat. I am too. So I want to launch right in to one of my favorite words, which I know I've seen you use a lot as well, neuroplasticity. And, you know, when I started working in PT and, and started specializing in neurological rehab, this was in 1996. This sounds so old, but, and it was considered pretty novel at that time, this idea of neuroplasticity. And so just for everybody's background, this, the previous notion was that we're born with a brain. And by the time we reach six to eight years old, it's pretty much formed. And anything that's coming in after that is not going to stick. It's going to kind of go out because we've, we've molded it and it's, it's a rigid brain. And of course, anecdotally, we know that not to be true, but it has been proven in research that no, lo and behold, our brain is plastic. We are able to constantly grow it, change it or shrink it. But I would love to hear your, your take, your first kind of engagement with this idea of neuroplasticity. And let's go down the rabbit hole of that. Okay. It is a rabbit hole. So, all right, let's kind of skip it right back. So the brain, so neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to change itself, to kind of perfect itself over time. And basically it means if it can continue to perfect itself, then yes, that old notion that you're stuck with this hardwired brain and, and it's brain, it's existing brain circuits. And so you're going to have a set understanding, a set amount of intellectual capability, a set number of capacities, all of that stuff we now know to be really false. So we know that those limitations are completely false and we, we were literally just making those up and imposing them on ourselves. So kind of take it right back to what a lot of positively and growth mindset, um, growth mindset parents kind of tell to their children when they say that you can be anything you want to be. You know, and that causes a lot of friction because there are other parents who say, you know, no, you're nothing special and, you know, you, you are what you are and just deal with it. And really, I've had this question put to me a few times and 
because he kind of answers it. But so we're going to neuroplasticity, but I just want to kind of put that up there and we can tie this back maybe at the, at the end. But the idea that you can be whatever you want to be, is fundamentally true. You can be absolutely anything that you want to be, but the choice, the decision, the moment that you kind of start heading towards that thing that you truly want to be, perhaps earlier or a bit sooner down the track, and there's no point at which you can't change, but the decision you probably make a little bit earlier on. So if we look at neuroplasticity, we can say there's two types of neuroplasticity. There's adaptive neuroplasticity and there's maladaptive neuroplasticity. So maladaptive neuroplasticity is kind of the one you don't really want. That's what happens if I always describe it as basically imagine if you roll your ankle, hurt your ankle, and then as you learn to walk again, you think you're doing it just fine. You, you know, you're, you're walking and you're running and you're doing all, all of your activities, but then you just start to notice you get a hip complaint or you notice you get a knee complaint. Then you get a, a, a complaint on the opposite shoulder and, you know, you start to get these little cascade of niggles that start to happen through the body because you've developed a compensation. You've developed, a, you know, you've adapted around the injury that you had, you know, that you believe you healed, but it wasn't healed optimally. It wasn't healed correctly or truly. And so you've developed some compensations and you'll have a bunch of new circuitry around that. And so we could say that would be maladaptive neuroplasticity in the physical body in a, in a physical movement pattern. And, and that same sort of scenario plays out with immune patterns. It plays out around thoughts, beliefs, and behaviors. So limiting beliefs, will we can, mal, we can maladapt around limiting beliefs and we can literally reduce our function, reduce our, you know, our, our expression, our physical, mental, or emotional expression. But adaptive neuroplasticity is this amazing thing that allows us to literally rewire and, and, and change our brains for the better. Now, in children, we can sort of split that further. We can say in children, we have what we call passive neuroplasticity. So kids, and this is that saying that kids learn like sponges because they do. They can literally just look, absorb, and then just go do because their brain is literally wiring in these patterns. And there's a bunch of brain areas that kind of that light up and get excited when that happens. But essentially, kids can literally just look form a motor plan and then just go and execute. Whereas an adult, we need to, we, we need to focus. We need focus attention. We actually need a few things to sort of, to make that happen. So we need alertness, we need urgency and we need attention. We really need, we really need to pay attention. And so that's kind of the thing that we say when the brain is in a state of present moment awareness, which is to say, you know, I'm not just understanding a situation, any given situation from my understanding of the past, and I'm not understanding where I am from information from the future, which might be understanding the situation relative to my anxieties or my fears or what I'm worrying about. When I'm actually in that situation and just paying attention, we say the brain and the nervous system are in their greatest states of communication. And to say that the brain and the nervous system are in their greatest states of communication is to say that the brain and the nervous system are really at their best. They're actually functioning at a really, really at their highest level because the brain is actively seeking out and looking to communicate with all areas of the system. And when it's doing that, then there's a heap of electrochemical communication firing down all these different neural circuits, lighting up all these different areas. And, and essentially the brain is creating new connections. There's neurons firing. And when different neurons that weren't previously connected are firing at the same time, well, then that same of neurons that fire together, wire together. So you start to create these new connections from one neuron to the next. And that happens across millions and millions of neurons. And so you can literally rewire and change the brain via focused attention and via novel experiences or via present moment awareness, where you're literally paying attention to the present moment and, and trying to understand what's going on or, or solve the movement challenge or solve the intellectual challenge or whatever it is that's going on in front of you in that moment, rather than perhaps just accepting old information or just running an old program. You know, and so I just, I've described it before, it's just really simply, it would be you know, if I'm sitting in this room and I've been in this room thousands of times before, that's not very exciting for my brain. There's nothing my brain needs to figure out when it comes in here. So when I walk in, my brain's got a whole set of presumptions already about exactly what's going to happen. And it just runs an autopilot, just runs a program. But if I come in with focused attention and literally go into what would look like a mindfulness exercise, just continue to ask like, what am I feeling now? What's actually going on? What's happening with this person on the screen? You know, is this a friendly interaction? Is it unfriendly? You know, are we learning? Are we not learning? You know, what's the temperature? You know, am I safe? What's going on? Can I hear other noises? So if the brain's paying attention to all these things, then I'm, I'm actively driving brain areas into activity, you know, and then when that's happening, I'm connecting those brain areas. And so that's, you know, a really simple way to, harness neuroplasticity to change things. And I think probably if we're going to round it off just in terms of what neuroplasticity is, 
I think it's really important because it's a question I get all the time is I get people all the time saying, you know, how do I do that? How do I do that? How do I improve that? You know, and it's not really so much that it's not about improving it or going out and, you know, optimizing it or training for neuroplasticity seems to be a question that comes up quite often. You have that, you have that already. It's available to you. You have that. I have that. Everybody has that available. It's just, it's how you engage with it and how often you engage with it. And are you engaging with it purposefully and engaging with that, as we say, adaptive neuroplasticity, which is positive, or are you just running through life unconsciously and then the programs in the autopilot that you're running are just maladapting to different situations and, you know, you're perhaps, you know, looking, you're perhaps losing connection because the brain is always looking to optimise energy efficiency. So if it, can, if it can perform the same function, firing less neurons and, and maintaining less connections, well, it'll do that because it believes that that will effectively increase, lengthen out the amount of time that it's got available to hunt go find food, refuel, and then continue surviving. You know, so if it can get through the day expending less energy, then it'll look to do that. It'll look to prune connections and, you know, and, and give you less. So yeah, it's, that's it's a, just that's your choice for attention. Yeah, that's an evolutionary kind of wiring that mm. worked well for us at one stage, but so many things are easily in, <laughs> we, we have shelter, many of us have shelter, good amount of food and all that. We don't have to spend energy on that. And what I often talk about, I'm interested to see what you think of this analogy is I, I often say, because I have my dog next to me and it's like, dog training is kind of like your brain. You know, the dogs are ready. They are ready to do what you want. They, they like challenge. They like to please. They, but if you kind of give in really easily, it's like the path of least resistance. So if I was Mm -hmm. training my puppy and I was telling him to sit and he sat and I gave him a treat. And then I ask him, you know, the next day and he didn't sit, but I'm like, oh, have the treat anyway. It's like, he's like, hmm, I can sometimes, you know, like it's, I can sometimes get away with not doing that. And what I often will say is like the, take that and expand it. And it's like, your brain wants the chat, like it grows with the challenge. And that doesn't mean you have to struggle, but actually struggle in a lot of ways is part of growth. I'm curious about your take on that in terms of neuroplasticity, in terms of challenging, having novelty and all that, do you think that there is inevitably some struggle in that to to create that growth, to create those better synapses, that more complex activity that's happening up in the brain? Uh, A couple of things. I believe that where the challenge, where the struggle exists for most people lies in the negativity bias that the brain holds. So we believe that the brain holds a negativity bias and the evolutionary reasoning, the rationale behind that is that if your ancestors thought the worst, if your ancestors were just negatively, had a negative mindset, well, then that had the potential to save your life. Because if you were out walking through the bush and you heard a rustle in the bushes, you know, that one time in a hundred that it actually turned out to be a predator and just not some fluffy little animal or just, you know, a a leaf falling to the ground or a branch falling. The one time in a hundred that turned out to be a predator, if you thought the worst every single time and you just ran every time you heard, you know, you just literally jumped up, fight or flight and just took off. Well, then that had the potential to save your life. So that means that that gave you a better chance of passing on your genes. So we believe that more of those ancestors passed on their genes to us. And so our brains now have this, this, negativity bias. Now, I don't know how true it is. I've heard the number thrown out there and I think it probably is reasonably close in probably in a lot of brains, but the the ratio of 30 to one, the brain pays 30 times more attention to negative stimuli than it does to positive stimuli. I'm not sure exactly how true that is, but I, but 100% we do hold a negativity bias. The brain, the brain definitely pays more attention to negative stimuli than, than positive. And I think it's quite a significant bias. So I think that's important because when you're talking about learning, you know, we're walking through life and if we're trying to, if we're, if we're conscious and we're thinking, okay, adaptive neuroplasticity, I want to make positive changes today. I want to rewire my brain today. Well, I'm going to have, I'm, I'm going to focus on positive things because that's how I would like to, you know, self-help. I'd like to help myself. But that one negative experience, that one emotional trauma, that one argument that you go and have with your partner that then goes and tells you like, oh no, life's not happy. Or, you know, that, you know, this, it's not safe to be yourself or it's not safe to express yourself or that one negative experience, your brain's really going to go back and pay attention to. So you can really rewire your brain really quickly via trauma and, you know, via, you know, via emotional traumas. And so 
that's kind of several steps backwards when you're only taking one or two steps forward. You know, so it's really important to then potentially go and try and reframe, you know, go and reframe the, the emotional experience or go and try and heal it. Be, be, be aware that you've potentially changed some programs in that moment. And then you can have a more, a more significant effect. You can have a more consistent effect in terms of moving forward. But if you're having arguments and emotional turmoil and, you know, different conflicts in your day and that you're having that with regularity and then you're wondering why your life isn't changing, it's probably because the brain's actually paying more attention to those events and those stimuli than it is to the positive um, stimuli that you're trying to self-direct at the brain. So I think mm. that's a big thing. And I think that my experience with, I, I always remember, you know, it was, it was all about just behavioral conditioning and just consistency. Consistency. You know? Yes. And yeah. Yeah. So my, my analogy is that it's, it's, it's really not, it's not too dissimilar from, from child rearing or, or parenting. You know, it's like you really just have to be consistent. And, and the same thing, because if you give that one negative stimulus, you know, the brain's going to pay more attention to it. So you just really need to be consistent about your messaging and just keep putting in, you know, those same messages that you want to, that, that you want the brain to take off. In the work that I do, it's just very different. We can kind of just communicate directly with the subconscious and put things straight into the subconscious. And that's far more powerful than your you're overriding the old programs sort of in, in one hit and that can change that can change your whole world. But if you don't have that available, you're not sure how to do that, then consistency really is key. It's really I, I think it's key. And I think probably semantic-wise, challenge is a better word than struggle. Struggle mm. has that sense of like, this is hard and I'm going to, you know, it has a little negative bias to it. But I do think um it would behooves us all to actually be excited about challenge because a mm. that any kind of challenge is novel in its in its essence because it's not something autopilot and it's interesting when you talk about i really want to dive deep into the negative bias and how you work with people because i over the years have worked with so many people who you, you know really reflect that like whether you know there's some people who are just like I'm going to try this new move and boy, it's challenging, but it feels amazing. And then there's others who are like, I could never do that. I am so weak. I, I've, I suck. You know, it's like, mm. and their, their actualization or physicalization of a movement looks the same, but it's the attitude really. It's that mm. mental thing. So I'm curious for the people that are, have a harder time with challenge, you know, have a hard time, like not being good at something, mm. quote unquote, I say that because like, you know, we can be good at everything or we can think we're good at a lot and, or we can try our hardest and, and accept that things are going to be challenging and we're going to come back and do what we can. But how do you greet people who have that kind of negative self-talk that is very wired? You know, you know, mm. that you're, they're coming in with decades of it. Yeah. So again, Come back, come back to that limiting belief of life is hard. You know, that's just a false limiting belief. It's the moment life is hard, you're no longer living. You know, it's like we we have the opportunity to just go in, into flow with that with the higher intelligence. Literally, the, the brain is is a higher intelligence organ permeated by this higher intelligence field that's literally organizing all matter, and we all have the opportunity to sort of to be in flow with that. Now, that might sound like something you've never heard of. It might be outside your awareness. You may never have experienced that. And so, you know, some people push back against that because it hasn't been their life experience. But when you go into flow with that, well, then life can, life can just be easy. You can actually sort of, you can flow forward towards your highest expression and, to, you know, you can overcome challenges. But if we bring it back to the, you know, that in the moment, you know, trying to overcome challenges and the mindset and how that plays out. So let's talk about perception because perception can only operate in the space that you give it to operate. And perception shapes your reality. Now, when I was an athlete, I was an athlete, I was an elite athlete in a combat sport and I, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I didn't understand, I couldn't have, I didn't understand about perception. I didn't understand how I was reframing things or whatever at the time. But I can remember just thinking, I will never, ever admit that something is hard or too tough or too challenging, you know, just too difficult while I'm in it. Afterwards, okay, I'm happy to go back and just go, oh, that was unbelievably challenging, but I've done it now. I'm over it. In the moment, I would always say, this is character building. Like, this is, you know, this is interesting. This is going to, this is challenging. You know, I'd, I'd use that language, but I'd always be excited about getting past it. And then I'd even think to myself sometimes, I'd allow myself to think, like, 
Jesus, going to feel nice. Well, I can actually call this hard, you know. Like it, I can't do it. Can't do it now. But at some point, once I've done it and I'm over this and I've achieved it, then okay, I can acknowledge that it was pretty challenging. But what I was doing was I was just I was defining the space that I was allowing my perception to operate. So I was defining my my the space as a character building space, you know, or you know, a path to success, a path to victory, a path to attainment, whatever it was that I was, you know, however I was defining it. And so you think of it this way because this this actually. Again, it does come back to the neuroplasticity because it, it helps us get back to that present moment. When we're trying to understand things from the context of the present moment, which is to say we're just open and trying to understand the truth of what is in that moment, rather than trying to interpret the present moment through the lens of the past or the lens of the future, really what we're doing again is like we're paying, we're paying attention. And so if you're if you're in that moment. And essentially trying to figure out exactly what it, how do I get over this hurdle? How do I do this? And then I set that, I set the space for my perception to operate. And I could define that moment that I'm in as a good moment or a bad moment. So you're describing people who say like, I suck at this. I just can't do it. So basically what they're saying is this is a bad situation. We can, we can loosely general, generalize it down to this is a bad situation. And other people who just say like, wow, this is really challenging, but I feel really good. Like, oh, muscles are burning. This is why I'm here. Well, I've now defined it as a good experience. So think of how when we talk about present moment awareness, when you look at the past, really the past is not a record of anything real. And this is when people talk about the illusion of time. What the illusion of time is that the past is not actually real. When I, what I mean by that is the past is a collection of your perception. It's a collection of, it's a collection of moments as you've perceived them and then recorded them to memory. And then you look back at them and you just kind of pick over them and you can relive them via memory. But they're not real truths they're just perceptions that you've perceived in the moment you and i are having a conversation we're both perceiving this moment uniquely individually you know and there'll be things about the conversation we agree about but that might be only 80 percent of it or 90 percent of it and we'll call that reality but the truth is that there's no grade there's no scale there's no degree to truth there's only that which is absolutely true and then that which is not true so if something's 99 percent true it's still not true so we can say it's truth versus illusion so when we go back and look in the past as a collection of perceptions, that's a collection of perceptions means it's basically an illusion. There's nothing 100% real there. So the only real is now. So the only real is if I actually just stay present in that moment and try and figure it out. Now, if I, if I look at my memory, this just helps to understand this. If I look back at a memory and I defined, let's say it's this conversation, I defined this conversation as a really good, positive, enlightening experience. Well, a week, a month, a year from now, when I go back and look at it, because my belief sets up my perception, my perception is formed from my beliefs. If I've defined this as a good, happy experience, well, I now believe this was a good thing. So when I go back and look at this memory, I've conditioned the space by saying it was a good thing. It's a good space. So that's the only space I'm giving my memory, to, my perception to operate. When I go back and look at it, I'm only going to find more thing, more good things. I'm only going to find, oh, that's right. I remember she said that funny thing. It was, I did have a bit of a chuckle about that. Like, I'm only going to find more good things because I've defined that space where the perception is going to operate. If on the other side of the coin, you define this as a, you know, a bad experience and you say like, you know, oh, he wasn't what I thought he was. A bit, oh, the conversation was too short. That if accent. You defi- <laughs> yeah, couldn't understand a word he said. So yeah, if, if you define it as a bad experience, well, same thing. When you go back, you'll look at it and your brain's only going to, your perception's only going to find more of those bad things because you've defined that space that the perception's got to operate in. And so that's the very reason when we go back in the past, those rose-tinted glasses looking at happy memories, they look more rose-tinted over time. And the opposite is true for the, for the negative stuff. So when you're in that moment trying to solve a movement problem, if you define it as bad, you define it as too tough or as challenging or as, you know, this makes me feel unworthy, like I'm not good enough. Well, you've now set that perception up. And this is something when I was working in movement as I was a personal trainer a long time ago. And and when I was working in movement, I used to see this all the time. You would see some people exercising and they'd get to that last repetition, you know, and you'd see them just do a little shake of the head and they've decided, no, no, I'm weak. I don't have it. And now that's the space now that the perception has got to operate in is that I'm weak or that I can't do this or this is unhelpful. And then the physiology responds and straight away your the brain is literally firing less muscle fibers. So then you're getting, you're feeding forward into the physiology 
and the physiology is feeding back, you're in a feed forward feedback loop of negativity and all of a sudden you're feeling weaker and you're confirming that you can't actually complete that motor plan. You can't complete the action. And then you turn around and go, see, told you it's too hard. You know, and so that's literally how limiting beliefs play out in real time. You know, I love that. I wish the- you, yeah, I'm oh, sorry to interrupt. Just yeah. on that note, behind me is my mat that I designed and created. And on one end of it, it says, I can. And on the other side, when you face that way, it says, I will. And I can't mm. tell you the number of people who've said, I did a handstand after I got your mat. And it's like, I, because I want that's every really time I, it's so yeah. amazing. Because again, it's that positive, like, I can. Like, that's just a really mm. powerful words. And I can't is just as powerfully destructive in a way, you mm. know? So anyway, go ahead. No, it's perfect. What you describe is beautiful. And again, I used to see this all the time. If, if people are coming to an exercise and they're holding a mind that's laden with limiting beliefs, well, then you need some strategies. You need, so if you haven't done anything to address those limiting beliefs, and yes, we can always just completely dissolve them, overturn them, overwrite them with new and better programming. But if you haven't done that and you're turning up to try and complete the physical exercise, well, then you need to be aware of that. You need to be aware that the mind is going to try and put a break, put a halt on things. It's going to try and stop things. So in that moment, you need to be nodding the head or saying, yes, I can, or having a fist pump or just giving yourself a positively feeding forward into the system so that you can reduce the negative feedback from the system. And then you don't spiral down so quickly. And you may find you just achieve things. And when you achieve things, that positive experience, you get that little reward, you get that dopamine reward. And all of a sudden you're rewiring and you're recognizing that you're more capable. And yeah, it's just, it's a really, really beautiful thing. And it's so simple, but Mm -hmm. I, again, I didn't have the words to explain it back, you know, back in the day, but I used to see this all the time and I could see that people were having a negative mindset and that was feeding forward into the physiology. And then the physio, the body was responding. And then you could see them going, see, no, I'm definitely weaker. I told you, I told you quick, get the bar, grab it. You know, I'm about to, you know, I'm I'm, going to collapse. And, the people that would turn around and be nodding, go, no, I've got this, doing this. No, I am doing this, you know, and they're telling the body how it's going to respond. And the body, the body would give it its best effort, you know, and yeah, more often and I than feel not, like, they get I that feel extra like, rep. Yeah, I feel like so many people are going to, who are listening or, or anybody is going to resonate because it's, you know, for lack of a better word, it's not woo-woo. This is brain science, right? It's like, you know, some people think, oh, positive talk is just like, you know, sugarcoating mm. stuff. And it's not, it's like having an inner conversation that is creating wiring that will there put down the landscape for your future interactions with mm. different experiences. And you know, that what you were saying about perception, I had read, and this, I didn't even realize this. I read this about two years ago that, you know, they've studied people and talked to people who have had an experience. There were some facts involved, like a tree fell down, And they've asked four or five people and everyone's perception of what happened was different, even though, Mm. you know, so our own memories were very, we we think we're convinced that is, like you said, the truth. And and it might be 98%, but it is actually more, it's our perception of it. And I think that's important and really heartening for people who are struggling with being really held back by their past perceptions and to know that, hey, every day is a clean slate because mm. what you, like what you said, being in the present is the, where the power is. Oh, absolutely. And look, and that's a really empowering thing that you've just touched on. And again, because so many people are stuck in their reality, this reality of limiting beliefs and limitations and they fight for it. They'll really fight for it. So when I find this all the time, when you offer limitlessness and you're offered a sort of, you know, really take the, take the shackles off, let's break the chains and you'll have people just saying, you can't, you cannot do that. It doesn't work that way. It's not reality. And 100% limitations that you want to fight for and support, you get to keep. There's, you know, and I always say, I'm never going to argue with you over your experience of life. I'm, I'm never going to, like, your experience of life has been your experience of life. I'm not saying that you haven't experienced limitations. But if you choose to support them, if you choose to nourish them and, you know, and, and give them energy, then, yeah, 100%, you will maintain them. So, you know, it, what you just touched on again is really, really empowering because there's, when we say truth, truth being 100%, truth is eternal. Whatever it is that's true and real is eternal. It doesn't change. We just don't have that. We don't have that in our world. We don't, we don't experience that. 
we have a level of mind that knows what that is. We have a level of mind that experiences that and, and the body's kind of expecting that alignment, but it's, we don't sort of work on that in, in our day-to-day world. We work on these half-truths and, you know, we have these false statements where we say, oh, there's some truth to that. We should, we should hang on to that. I think that could be important. But, we're, again, we're describing a level of illusion. So the thing to remember is if, if we don't have knowledge, and what I mean by knowledge, knowledge is that which is eternal, eternally true, never changes, never, ever, ever going to change. So that's the true definition of knowledge. If we don't actually have access to knowledge, what we've got is perception. What we've got is an ability to figure things out. So we each have the ability to reshape our perception, which means if your perception is literally defining, creating your reality, you have the ability to reshape your reality. Why, why wouldn't you want to make it the reality that's absolutely the best one for you? You know, there's, not, there's yes. nothing... It, Everybody, there's an infinite number of realities because everybody's perceiving uniquely differently. No two people will be in the same situation. And exactly as you said with the tree falling, no two people will be in the exact same situation and perceive that situation exactly the same or have the same thoughts and ideas about it, which means there's an infinite number of realities being shaped out there. So if that's the case, why wouldn't you just want to shape your reality to be the most empowering, you know, the highest expression, like the greatest reality that, you know, gives you your very best and happiest, most fulfilling life. That's really what we each have available. So harness it. So I have a question and this might be too much of a deep dive, but say somebody's listening and they have experienced a lot of hardship, whether it is, you know, the quote trauma of, but they they have had a hard life and a lot of hard experiences and we now know, and this is always evolving, just like all, all the truths, quote unquote, are evolving, is that people that do have a lot of traumatic history, it, their, their wiring is different. What have you learned that is a, like a first step for kind of unraveling some of that, what is pretty much a faulty wiring for this potential better existence or perception of existence in life? So look, I think that the first thing, I wouldn't call it faulty. I think basically we, we live in a perfect universe. Everything's perfect all the time. We just don't perceive it that way. You know, our perception will be that, you know, we'll, you know, someone gets hurt. We have a traumatic experience. We have an emotional experience or a fight with someone. It doesn't feel good. And again, by that negativity bias, the brain will literally leap to perceive only those negative things because we have this negativity bias. So we're focusing, it's like unconsciously we're defining an experience as negative. Now, the truth is there's a balance. There's a perfection to everything all the time. If our perception is only operating on, you know, in the space where things are negative and bad, well, it's going to, those, those experiences are going to feel traumatic and, you know, potentially horrendous. But anybody who's listening to this, who's had traumatic experiences will have had the experience of something they thought was horrible, something they thought that was traumatic and really bad, but you know, a week, a month, a year, a decade down the track, you come into the awareness that there was a hidden terrific, there was something amazing that actually came out of that experience. You know, we just in that moment, we didn't have the quantum awareness to be able to perceive and put the positive and the negative together and, and find that balance that made the situation perfect. So the first thing is just awareness. If we can actually just have the awareness that, you know, that I, I'm perceiving differently. My perception has been reshaped. It's been altered as a result of my life's experience. And now the world feels different. Life feels different. I'm, I'm interacting and engaging with people in a different way. If I can just have an awareness of that, that's an incredible first step because something I've said for a long time is it's very difficult to change the things that you have no awareness of. You know, if you've got an awareness of something, you can do something about it. If you don't have awareness about it, then you're just kind of wandering along oblivious and, you know, still stuck in that, you know, in that limitation. So if you can have awareness, that is, that's really such a truly amazing step. And so something that I just try and give to people really, really simply is that you live in a perfect universe. Everything is perfect all the time. It's our perception that's limited. And so because that negativity bias, we focus in on what we perceive to be negative in the moment. So we kind of miss, it's like we're oblivious to the positives that are actually attached to that situation. And that is always true. doesn't matter how traumatic the situation is. That is always, always, always true. The thing that is amazing is that the mind and the brain are so powerful that you are the determiner of every single situation. But your brain, your mind is that powerful that you determine the situation by your own perception. And then it's the beliefs in the system because those beliefs create the perceptions because what you believe about the sensory stimuli that you're encountering, that 
determines what, how you perceive them. Perceive them as good, perceive them as bad because there's a belief about it. Now, how about like stress response? Like, so for people that have endured a lot in early childhood or adolescence yep. or at some point and they're, their stress, their nervous system is is different than somebody who hasn't. Mm. You know, yep, so absolutely. How does that is how it, does that unfold in this? Yeah, it, that's a physical manifestation. So essentially, it's still exactly the same thing. You're just sort of picking up on now. There's like there's a reflexive there's a reflexive firing of these stress responses. You know, and so I can I, I, I experience panic or I experience freeze or you know I experience terror and fear or you know whatever it is. You know, I experience that my whole body just goes hot. You know, there's all these different responses. So all of those are shaped. Your stress responses come from your perceptions. Those perceptions come from the beliefs. So how you perceive the situation. If I perceive this situation as threatening, then I will have a stress response to that. There'll be a, there'll be a set number of responses that my body will kind of go through in response to a threat and different threats. So again, it comes back to that awareness because if I have the awareness that, ah, oh, that's just a pattern wait a minute, there's a program running here. That's a program. Well, if it's a program, I can change a program. We can overwrite program. I can just update the system. Okay. Do I have the awareness of how to do that myself? Yes or no? If I, yes, then great. Well, I need to get to work. If the answer is no, well then, okay, I need to reach out. Like who has awareness of that? Who sounds like they might be able to help with that? You know, but if I don't have awareness of it and I'm doubling down on that reality where I'm, I'm giving energy and I'm giving support to my limitations, and as people do, defend those limitations. So those limitations being those stress responses and saying, that's just the way life is. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's me giving energy and giving support, giving my support to those limitations and I'll keep them. So, but if we have the awareness and then we, you know, we recognize, recognize it for what it is, well, then that's the first incredible, like most powerful step towards change. So can you give some like um, examples of how you would help clients that you've worked with in different scenarios. So say somebody is coming to you and does have a strong negativity bias from real, you know, situations that have happened and is trying to feel better in their body, in their mind, in their spirit. What are some, I know this is like not, I, I, we can't make it cookie cutter because this is complex, mm. but there is a simplicity to it, to it. So I'm, I'm curious how you would help someone in that situation who wants to change their literally change the way they perceive the world. Yeah, look, the way that I go about it is just very different. And, you know, and so it's difficult to give generalized advice. There are things that we can do and we, and our scientific paradigm is really good at identifying things like breathing patterns. And so mm -hmm. simple things that we can do, little hacks. I don't, I generally don't work. I'm happy to give hacks to people and I give them out on social media and whatnot. I don't work with hacks because they're just management strategies. And I always said, we'd rather just, let's just go and heal it. Let's just go and change it. So a simple hack would be something like longer exhalations. We know that if we breathe out longer, that we're going to slow the heart rate down and we can literally calm ourselves down. You, if, you, if you cover your eyes and open your eyes in the dark, again, you can dampen down that sympathetic response. You can calm things down. You can go into what we call a, a whole brain posture where you can cross one ankle over the other, you can cross a wrist over the other and you're getting cross-hemisphere communication. That can kind of reduce, for want of a better expression, reduce stress in the corpus callosum that is the that's the basically the bridge of communication between the two hemispheres of the brain. You can restore a level of balance and things can calm down. So there's different hacks that we can do. The way that I work is just very different because really think of this. This is the way I try and explain it to people. So I think it makes the most sense. By our own admission, we say that we don't understand very much about the brain. We're very open about the fact that there's far more about the brain that we don't know than what we do know. And then if you look at the way that we like to act, the way we try and focus on the body is we, we're, we're control freaks. We really like to put ourselves in that driver's seat. There's not, we don't really have many modalities or approaches to the, to the brain in particular or the body that just let the conscious mind take a back seat. You know, like it's, it's very much always, I need to go and see a professional, somebody who knows because they will be able to do something. So it's, you know, basically what I'm saying is I need to go and find another conscious mind. It's got different information to the, to my conscious mind and they'll tell me what to do. And the conscious mind is only 5%. It's 5% of kind of what's going on, you know, up there, 5% of, of the total brain processing that's going on. So your unconscious mind's the other 95%. It's just far more powerful. It might not be as highly evolved in some areas, but it's far more powerful. So if we think of that, the brain is a higher intelligence organ permeated by this higher intelligence that we don't understand. So really what we do in, in all of our approaches is we basically say that I'm holding up a little box here, making a box with my hands and saying, this is my 
level of awareness. My level of awareness, which is just this tiny little box of awareness. And really what I'm going to say is, okay, brain and higher intelligence, you need to dumb yourself down and squeeze yourself inside that tiny little box so that I can tell you how this is going to go. And then I'll, you know, then we'll move forward because I've done this a lot and I, and I know I've got 20 years of experience. That's kind of how a lot of our therapies work. I, I, I don't do that. That's the way that I work is basically just go to the higher intelligence and say, you know, the answers, the higher intelligence knows exactly what you need, knows the path forward knows how to get there, knows the easiest way, knows the lessons or the growth or whatever that's supposed to come out of this, how about you show us and just try and get the feedback, get the feedback and just get it to guide us and you can get there every single time. So that's just, and so for that reason, it's uniquely individual every single time. There's no one size fits all approach. There's no, you know, if I, there's this one modality worked for me, but then for the next person, oh, it wasn't quite as effective. No, because there was, there were just different needs in the system. Then the problems may have looked really similar, but there were just different needs in the system. So that higher intelligence that's within the brain, within the body, that has the answers all the time. And, you know, and so I do coach and try and give people a bit of feedback about how you can increase your intuitive awareness, you know, and so just simple things that you can do is you can ask for truth. You can always, always, always ask for truth because when you're asking that higher intelligence in your system, what the truth is, it's referring to truth eternal. It's referring to what is ab the absolute truth in the universe, not just our current understanding of things. And you can get feedback. So if you've never done that before, it might look like just saying, okay, what's the truth of this situation? I think I've got option A or option B. Which one's better for me? And is option A my best choice in this moment or is option B my best choice in this moment? And it may there may be another choice that's actually the real true answer but you can get feedback by just which one feels more right you know which one feels better for you you know and so that and is may, that, you may I'm feel, sorry to interrupt is that yeah. feeling coming from like your gut response the neurons of the, like is it because I know in the thinking mind you'll start to kind of mm. like parse it out like well if I do this this will happen and I can benefit but here's the cost and if I do this like what do you mean by feel yeah. So go to your heart. So your heart is, your heart has its own brain. Heart has a cluster of like 40,000 neurons and it actually sends more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. So the brain's actually telling, so the heart's actually telling the brain more about what to do than the brain's telling the heart, which that reverses our thinking about, you know, what we classically have thought about the body. We, we always looked at the brain as the control center, but turns out the heart's telling the brain more things. So when we say that your heart, you know, what, you know, what you feel in your heart to be true, Mm -hmm. that's, that's where you can experience knowing like your heart actually has this knowing. So a simple thing that you can do is slow down, try and get yourself to heart brain coherence. And so heart brain coherence is basically when the heart and brain are just in a relaxed state of communication and there's an open dialogue between the two, then I'm not in, I'm not messed up in my stress responses and got all this white noise going around in my brain and I can't understand the signals that I'm getting. So a really, really simple way to do it is just breathe in for six seconds, breathe out for six seconds. You can put your hand on your heart if you like, and you can feel into the, into the heartbeat as it slows down. And you can start to try and hold elevated emotions, to hold the emotions of love or gratitude or compassion. That's really simple. When we talk, you want to think more along the lines of universal love, as in love for all things, rather than a romantic love. Universal love would be closer to the true definition of what love actually is. So that's, the, again, the body's connected to that truth and it will respond to that more effectively than if you just think of a loving partner and, you know, a romantic, you know, interaction. And then in that moment, once you feel that, you know, things have slowed down, then you can start to say like, okay, what's the truth? And it might be, am I safe? Am I not safe? What's the truth? And if it just feels different, I might still have this noise in my head saying not safe, not safe, not safe. But I notice it changed. I noticed when I did that, hang on a minute, it changed. And then you just have to think for a second, if it was true, true being eternal, true being it's unchanging, there'd be no other angle I'd be able to look at this from and change it. So the fact that it just went from 100% down to 90% means it was a level of illusion. Okay, let's do that again. Wait a minute, it just went down to 80%. Okay, and I can go back and do that and I can start to see my way through it. So that would be a slow way to chip away at it, but that's something that everybody can do. And over time, this is the amazing thing via neuroplasticity, every single time you go there and you perceive that information, you are creating the new neural connections that support your perception of that information. So you can improve your intuition over time. People who say that they have no intuitive process or no intuition, you can build that. You can completely build that via neuroplasticity. So go there and just listen. 
go there and just listen and pay attention. And as you're doing that, you're literally wiring in the new connections that are going to allow you to perceive that information more and more in the future. Wow. I love this so much. I mean, it is, I feel like this is a healing modality that every single person needs, you know, and, and like you said, it's there, like the simplicity of it is, Mm. I mean, I often say this, I say the good news and the bad news is whatever way you want to think of it is you, you can feel better, but you have to do the work, right? So you can pay for somebody else. And it's yeah. again, not to discount other things, but at the end of the Still day, need to engage. it is a decision, right? Yes. Mm. So it's a decision to, like you said, take that pause, that six seconds and allow yourself the potential to reframe, rewire your perception, which I think is mm. a great way to think of it. You know, really it is because everything, I mean, that we really experience in life comes down to a lot of it is our own perception. Yeah, is that, that, that's what we do. So we don't know. We're not one. We, we don't have that knowledge of everything that's, you know, truth unchanging. So mm-hmm. if we don't actually have access to knowledge, knowledge being eternal, then all we've got is perception. And I said, but we have the power of perception. We have the power to reshape that perception. So you can, you define the space where your perception can operate. You completely change your reality. And then it feels like we're going full circle now. So I'm going to bring it back, bring it back to that first question when we're talking about neuroplasticity. And think of this, if you're, when we're talking about like reshaping and completely changing your reality, going back to, you used the words woo-woo earlier. And I think this is one of those things that people, parents, some parents get accused of, you know, it's woo-woo when you tell your child, you can be anything you want. You can, you know, the world is, is free and open, be anything you want. People come to me to find out what their gifts are and what, you know, what they're gifted and how do we express that? How do I, you know, how do I get my brain to really, you know, how can I be the best that I can be? What you think you are or what you believe you are determines your gift, you know, and, and that is so true, you know. So what you believe you are, if you believe that you are, you know, a brilliant mind, you will express that. If you believe that you are an athlete, you'll express it. If you believe that you're a musical genius, you'll express that. And if you look at our science, like we've, we've now seen studies where we've worked out that you can rewire the brain via activity or just simply via meditation. And they've done this with music. They could given, you know, given a piece of music that was a dominant, uh, a, a dominant pattern in the, le- in the left pinky finger, which means the pinky, that left pinky finger was going to be used far more disproportionately more in this particular piece of music than it would regularly do. And so they studied the brains of people who actually played that music and what they did on the corresponding motor cortex and sensory cortex cortex, the area in the brain that maps out that left pinky finger, so right-hand side motor and sensory cortices, that, that literally gained more connections. And so it sort of mapped out that, that area corresponding to the, the left pinky finger far more definitively. The really interesting thing was that people who just went and meditated on playing that same music did exactly the same thing mapped out more of that brain, that same area around the left pinky finger. So when people say, you know, you can be anything that you want, and then you hear people being negative and saying, that's just woo-woo, that that can't happen. The decision happens earlier on. So when you believe, it's that moment when you first begin to believe who or what you actually are, that's beginning to determine your gift because you think, if you think that you're a musical genius, well, you love it. You're going to be thinking about it all the time you're going to be wiring in the connections that allow you to play and express music from a young age. So that's, that's literally what's happening in the brain via neuroplasticity. You're changing your brain and you're, you're up-leveling, you're up-leveling your capabilities, the capabilities in your mind, in your brain towards that highest expression of what you believe to be your purpose. And then people are going to say, wow, you're gifted, you know, and the same would be true if you're an athlete, my little boy, is nine years old, all he thinks about is athletics. He's watching YouTube all the time. Just And, you know, my wife and I have said to him at times, just like, mate, at some point you are going to have to actually go out and train, you know. And and then this, this is the thing with passive neuroplasticity. He went to his regional championship and my wife sent me a, a video and a message saying, we might have to go back on that YouTube comment because he just jumped a 60 centimeter personal best in the long jump just because he's been watching Mike Powell and Carl Lewis on loop. And he's literally gone and recreated the pattern. Looks, he looks beautiful, never been coached, but just goes and recreates the pattern because he's just thinking about it all the time. He believes that he's an athlete. He believes that's his gift and he's wiring that in. So yes, you can be whatever you want to be, but 
you know, it's what you believe. It, it comes back to that belief earlier, you know, early on. So the decision you've probably just made earlier on, if you want to change that, you can, but you need to change the beliefs about what you think you are and then you can begin to rewire that. So we, and, and this is the thing that the mind is just so much more powerful than what we give it credit for, you know, and we now kind of have the science to, to support that and understand it, but we need to get ourselves out of the way. We need to get those limiting beliefs of, you know, you can't do that and you can't have anything you want. You can't, we need to get all that stuff out of the way to be able to experience it. I love that. Well, we could talk forever, but before we sign off, and again, it's like not meant to be cookie cutter, but in, in terms of people throughout their lives, but especially in like tips for aging well. And do you have like four or five like tips that you like, what is your daily life like? Like, what are you doing for your future self in yeah. terms of getting your, keeping your brain health? Okay. Number one, time is, so if time is an illusion, time is limiting. So we don't need to, we don't need to measure our life in years. If we measure our life in years, that's just inherently limiting. We have mm-hmm. three, three ages, three ages. You get your chronological age. It's just the numbers on the birth certificate. So the number of years that the number of laps around the sun that you've done, you've got your biological age, which is what we, it's kind of the, the level of function and the health that we correlate to different organs in terms of, oh, you know, you're 40 years old, but you know, you've got the liver function of a 30 year old, or, you know, you've smoked and, and drunk for most of your life. And, you know, you're, you're 40 years old, but you've got the liver of an 80 year old. And so we understand that via our habits via movement and sleep and good nutrition, we know that we can have an effect. It's not a huge effect towards the positive, but we know that we can have an effect. But then you have your psychological age and your psychological age holds a huge scope for change. So, and everybody's seen this, people have seen 50 year olds that are literally running around acting like they're 25 and you've got 50 year olds who are literally running around looking like they're 75. And it comes down to that belief about what you believe. Because then again, if you believe that you're younger and you believe that you're more vital, well, that belief is setting the space for your perception to operate. And that perception works internally as well as externally. So it's what you're perceiving in your inner environment and getting that feedback that, yeah, no, this body's going really, really well. I'm actually young and I'm moving. I'm going, you know, life is good. I'm, you know, I'm 50, but I'm moving like I'm 25. And the thing to remember is it's not just us inner beliefs. It's not just those singular beliefs that we hold in our own mind because we're a collective. There's a group mind, there's a global consciousness. And when you walk out onto the street, you don't see the connections, but you are connected to everybody. Like the minds are communicating. And so on a subconscious level, from a young age, when you see your parents, you know, complaining about aches and pains, and you see your grandparents, their function going downhill, and you literally go out and see everybody else expressing these learned behaviors about, about aging, will you 100% buy into that because that becomes your reality. So it's a more challenging thing for, for people to get past because you've got an entire population out expressing the limitations of aging. And I've gone into this quite a bit. And there are, lot, there are lots of people who have seen this and come to the same conclusion that so much of aging is just learned behavior. You know, like oh, you, you, amen. I say this yeah. all the time when people are like, mm. oh, you, you know, well, I'm getting older. So my knee, that's, and I'm like, okay, first of all, I say, stop saying that because you yeah. know, you're just kind of repeating probably again, what, yeah, what you've been told or what you've been experiencing, but it, it then creates your mindset. And then yeah, you, so I would say, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. I'm no, sorry, go on. No, I was well, going to say, gonna and say, then what your mindset creates your output, like what, yeah. you know, what you believe you're it, again, it's that limiting belief. hundred percent. So I'd say really the biggest thing that I think you can do, biggest thing that you can do is let go of what we call premature cognitive commitments, you know, and it's like, so you see people expressing older age and reduced function and you make a commitment to that from a young age. Like, oh, that's the way life goes. Okay. You know, like, oh, you go downhill, you know, 30, oh, 40 people talk about things going, you know, losing function, people talking about things in their body going south. You know, you hear all of these words, you know, being expressed and then you see older people, you know, literally hobbling around and all hunched over. And, you know, if you're seeing that and you make the commitment to that, from a young age, well, that's a premature cognitive commitment. You've decided that's the way things are going to go. But like we were just describing, you know, if you can hang on to, if you can hang on to that youthfulness via your belief and setting up that, that inner perception of the feedback that you're getting back, getting back from your body, that it's actually still functioning and functioning well, not going downhill. Yes, you can still do all the good things with food, nutrition and sleep and all the rest of it. But matter is an epiphenomenon of energy thought is an energy. So basically that means matter, 
matter is created from energy. And we, we, we know this. It's, it's an uncomfortable space for our scientific paradigm to kind of look at, but, it's, but we know that, that matter is formed from energy. There's energetic templates that create matter. And that's what happens in your body. And that thought is an energy. It's really powerful energy. So those beliefs that you're maintaining in your subconscious mind, they're literally reshaping matter all the time. I, I just like to give people the idea, just consider, just take, I'll leave, leave this as a, a take of me, just go and sit with it. You have something like more than 37 trillion cells in your body. You're turning over 810,000 or more cells every single second. Now, the subconscious mind, we can say, is the aggregate intelligence of all the cells in the body. It's literally like it's the mind is in every single cell of the body. This intelligence in the cell that we don't understand. So the cell holds this intelligence. And so when cells are differentiating and becoming new cells and new tissues, like so literally cells are dying and then new cells are being born, really what's happening is cells are being created from these blank canvas stem cells, which could be anything they want. They could turn themselves into skin cells, you know, hair cells, liver cells, your bones cells. They can literally express anything they want. So why then would this limitless intelligence that's inside the cell coming from a blank canvas that can be anything that it wants, why would it go and replicate the cell that's dying, but just do it so it expresses a slightly older function? It just looks a bit older and a bit more, a bit more decrepit. Why wouldn't it just be exactly the same? Why wouldn't it go and express something younger or something better? And the truth is that it's coming. There's, there's information fields that, you know, that, per, that uh, permeate all of those cells and the cells are responding to the information. And that information is in our beliefs, but it's not just our individual beliefs, it's our collective belief as well because we go out, as I said, we go out and we reconfirm that by seeing everybody else expressing those limitations. So just kind of ponder on that. Ponder on the fact that you've got all this cellular turnover going on and the cells are intelligent. They could be anything they wanted to be. Why would they go and make themselves older or just a bit worse? Like, why would they do that? You know, and do I, need to make, do I need to make that premature cognitive commitment or could I potentially reframe a couple of things? It's a good mm. thing to think about. Oh, I love that. I love that. What a great ending. Full circle from neuroplasticity <laughs> and the potential to grow throughout our lifetime. And a huge part of that is like, again, our mindset, you know, believing that we can, we can, we can, we can do whatever we want and we need to focus and enjoy and, and have, you know, I hate to say a positive outlook because sometimes positive negative is two kind of polarizing terms, but it is, it is positive because the opposite is the negative bias. So, yeah. yeah again, I, like for me, it just comes back to that present moment awareness. Mm -hmm. And again, if we're prepared to just kind of surrender into the present moment, well, then what you're doing is you're surrendering into the perfection of that present moment because, because the universe is perfect all the time. And that means you're allowing your perception to just go and find that, find that perfection yeah, and, and again, when we, if we just, again, touch really quickly on when we're talking about trauma, something you can do, and this is reshaping perception, is if you take on the belief that the universe is perfect all the time, then it means there's no chance, no accident, everything is always perfect and purposeful. So if I have a bad experience, I can just sit with that and say, instead of me saying, okay, this feels really bad, it feels really challenging, but I could just say to myself, you know what, this is perfect because it is, because I know it is, I believe that. So I just, why am I only perceiving the negative? Like brain, what's going on? How come you're only perceiving 50% of this? Why, like, how come you're missing the positive here? What's going on? That annoys the life out of the brain because the brain hates an open loop. You are literally in that moment, reverse engineering OCD and anxiety. You're just throwing an open loop at the brain. It's throwing a hand grenade to the brain and saying, go deal with that. And the brain will say, like, well, literally look at that belief and go, well, no, you're right. Everything is perfect. And now you've redefined that space. And so the brain will literally set about pulling the things into your perception, into your perceptual field, perceptual range that actually allow you to experience that perfection. So instead of you saying, oh, this is a bad situation and only finding more bad things, you say, well, hang on. No, it's perfect because I know it is. I just can't see why right now. I don't understand why it's perfect or how. Brain, how come? How come you're missing that? brain will then set about going and finding things that actually make that perfect for you. You've just completely opened your perception and changed things, which is then going to change your reality when you start to see that traumatic experience or, you know, that what you perceive as a negative moment, start to see that differently. Mm. Thank you so much. We could talk forever. And please share with everyone how they can find out more about 
the offerings that you have and your social media, et cetera? Uh, yeah, look, I just, uh, the brain guy. So I am the brain, the guy. Dot brain just, yeah. dot guy. Yep. The brain guy. So the dot brain dot guy at, on, on Instagram and Facebook, there's a website, the brain co or one word, but yeah, I'm happy to help. So yeah, re- reach out, you know, reach out. There's just, there's always more available than what we've kind of set up for ourselves in our current reality. I love that, Scott. And I feel like so many people need that reinforcement and rea- the reality of the brain and, and its power to change our lives. They need it now more than ever. So thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for creating the space. It's been a really, really lovely chat and I yeah, really enjoyed it. Thanks for giving us the opportunity to sort of share some truth. It's really, yes. it's really beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much. And for everybody listening, make sure you check out Scott. And as always, I'm pulling for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.